Alright, we're up and running. Welcome to the first episode of The Heat Locker. I'm here with Elvis Sinisek. I'll, I'll do a bit of an intro on Elvis in a sec, but uh, this is our first time, first podcast. So as far as production, we'll see how things go as far as... Uh, you know, mic volume and, and uh, the whole setup. So bear with us if this seems too too quiet or too loud, we'll, we'll sort all that out sort of afterwards. Uh, basically, we talked about uh, starting this up and now it's up and running officially. Uh, the premise is, yeah, there's a million podcasts out there, so we're just sort of jumping in the pool with these guys. But our idea is we're running from the sauna, particularly... Most times it will be run from the sauna here at Sydney West Martial Arts. My name's Luke, and I'm the head coach and instructor here. And I'm a jiu-jitsu black belt, and actually a jiu-jitsu black belt under Elvis. And um, super excited to get this started. We're going to talk about basically everything, probably more martial arts related stuff, but not necessarily. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of float around depending on where it goes. It's going to be unedited, so we're not going to be cutting and chopping and adding things here and there. Currently, we have no sponsors. Uh, we've had a couple of people talk to us. It really depends on how sort of whether people are interested or not. So we just need you guys to let us know what you think. Um, yeah. So today, first guest, Elvis Sinisek. Welcome, Elvis. Uh, great to be here. Um, you know, I love the sauna. So uh, great starting point. Um, and hey, you know how much I love talking about um, martial arts, MMA, and just general health and wellness. So it should be fun. Yeah. Awesome. So. Basically, I'm, I'm not going to go right into Elvis's whole background. We'll, tr- we'll sort of drag that out as we go, I suppose. Um, but those of you who don't know Elvis, he uh, martial arts pioneer really in Australia. I mean, there's, that gets bandied around a little bit, but I think you're probably you know, at the forefront of that. Definitely with mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu and, and most definitely with the UFC. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, fought in the first ever Pan Pacific Championships. Australia's first uh, representative at the ADCC World Championships. Um, interestingly enough, landed the first ever heel hook submission uh, victory yeah, in uh, ADCC in uh, '98. Um, yeah, for, you know, fought in the first uh, MMA event here in Australia. Won the first Australian MMA title back then. It was a ballet judo title. Um, first Australian to fight in the UFC. First Australian to. Um, fight for a world championship, Sam sadly didn't get the world championship, yeah. but hey, I was in there throwing leather, so uh, great experience, and um, now running my own gym, King's Academy, uh, based out at Moorbank, you know, with affiliates such as yourself, um, around Sydney and Australia, um, as well as now working on Fox Sports, doing um, analyst work, and uh, popping in here and there, doing some other things as well along the way. Yeah, awesome. So it's like, there's even, I'm hoping out of this, that there'll be stuff that I don't know that, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty that I don't know. Um, I feel like, you know... And hopefully stuff I can still remember, you know, getting hit in the head a lot, stuff falls out. Yeah, I don't know, I think you're doing right. I think it's been, um, I think you've been going right with that. Yeah, no, look, I, I think I'm pretty lucky. Um, but saying that, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things um, that interests me is health and wellness, and one of the, one of those areas is improving cognitive function, <coughs> I guess, Later on in the chat, we'll get a little bit yeah. more into that. But CTE and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, look, um, I, I'm not foolish enough to think that the, you know, getting hit and um, having concussions and stuff hasn't had an effect. But 
looking at the best way to mitigate those um, long-term and ways we can improve uh, my cerebral function. So hopefully still holding up um, pretty good and yeah. continue to do so. Yeah, I mean, it's it, that topic's on everyone's lips at the moment. It's funny, geez, even, even 10 years ago, Nobody really talked about it. No one really, not 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 a lot. And it was sort of like if you talked about that, you're a bit of a pussy, you know. What are you what are you running about for? It's just you want to fight or you want to, you know, what do you want to do? Look, it's a, yeah. Look again, it was the same thing across many sports. Yeah. You know, you'd see football players get knocked out on the field, dragged on, throw a little bit of ice on their neck, have a drink of water, boom, throw them back on again. You know, same with fighters. Um, Back in the early days, no one, well, no suspensions or anything like this. No, no concern about any uh, long-term damage. In the lead up to one of my fights, I actually had a double concussion going in, and I didn't want to tell anyone because um, last thing I wanted was someone to try and pull the fight on me. You know, it was a really big fight at the time, mm. um, actually against uh, Forrest. Um, oh, so it was the Forrest one you because. Forrest went into another one of his fights with the same sort of thing. So you went into a, the Forrest fight with, with, with a yeah, pretty much Jesus a double. Like a, a, that happened in the gym. Yeah, sparring, you know, yeah. um, shark tanking, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I actually remember the, the story pretty well. Um, I was in the probably near the end of the camp, so I had a good hard camp. Was very fit. Um, you know, I'm known for my chin. I can take a lot of damage and mm. punishment and keep working. And um, I started the round a little bit too relaxed and I was throwing shots and I threw a kick, but I didn't really um, want to overcommit to the kick, you know, because the last thing I wanted to do was uh, injure my partner and actually landed on the body nicely. But they've caught the kick and they've thrown a big overhand right which has landed flush and everything's just gone zhoosh. this is in the gym in the gym yeah. yeah and I finished the round and I didn't remember the round like I've turned I'm, I'm all sweating you know because you know you've just put in the first hard round and I've turned to someone who was just sitting there uh, one of my students um, just watching and I've gone have the round started yet? He goes, yeah, 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 you did great. You just had my, did the first round. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, cool. And then I, I did another um, three rounds. And then same thing in the fifth round again. I did uh, the same thing again. A little bit relaxed, you know, because I've been smashing out. My cardio felt great. It's feeling strong. Did you have good training partners for this? Like, were you getting pushed hard? Was, or yeah, was yeah, it, yeah. It was, yeah. Um, no, no, I, it, yeah. Was, uh, it was, as I said, it was a good camp. Mm. I um, was happy with how my stand-up was going and my jiu-jitsu and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, my goal was to go in and stand with him because I don't think that's what they were expecting. They were expecting me, you know, obviously to play jiu-jitsu and mm. I felt there were holes in forest stand-up that I could um, capitalise on. And again, in the fifth round, same thing happened. Whammo, oh, got hit. Um, and again, a lot of these memories have only come back pretty much like right. a couple of weeks yeah. later, or a week, yeah, pretty much you know, a couple of weeks later that the memories of exactly what had happened kind of came back to me. And at the end of that round, I've kind of turned 
and this time I'm soaked head to foot because you know we've done um, quite a few hard rounds, five minute rounds, um, pushed hard, shark tanking new opponents, and I think um, the last couple of rounds were actually one minute shark tank, so every minute new opponent. So, yeah. um, so fresh guys really pushing the pace and making it work. <clears throat> And I'm there sweating in the middle of the ring. And I've looked at myself going, what's just happened? Why am I sweating like this? Because I did not remember any of the, the sparring oh, at oh, all. You're straight, out. Oh, geez. straight out. Could not remember doing any of the rounds. Right. And That's I've turned to him and I've gone, have we started yet? And he goes, you asked me the same question in the yeah, first yeah. round. I mean, that's a good and indicator like, of, a, of a concussion. Concussion, yeah. yeah. And he goes, um... Yeah, no, no, you did really good. You looked fantastic. You were sharp, rah, rah, rah. And because he was, uh, the student at the time was a 16-year-old. Like, so he, uh, they weren't, it wasn't yeah. registering to them either. Yeah, he's like, just like, yeah. I, I, they may have thought I was joking or something like I that. Know. I don't know. But they were like, oh, wow, that was awesome. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then after that, we had a jiu-jitsu class and we had grading coming up. So... Um, with our academy, we have a syllabus, you have set moves, you have to demonstrate, and you have to, um, before you grade, you also have to show the instructors, you know, that you're, you're competent, you know yeah. the moves, and I, I went, um, I was going around to my students, and one of my students was going for a four-stripe white belt, which is where they have to do 50 moves. And I was sitting there watching him do all the 50 moves, Knock, uh, marking them off in my head as he's doing them sort of thing um, you know because I, I don't know the syllabus off the top of my head and it wasn't um, difficult and then he, he's all of a sudden he's sitting there looking at me and for a, a moment there I didn't know where I was I'm like wait a minute what, what's going on here and I'm like and it's kind of clicked oh he's done his 50 moves and I can't remember because I'm holding, um, I can't remember if he's done them all. And I've kind of done the, forget is any more, forget mm -hmm. anything. He's like, he goes, no, no, no. I'm like, are you sure? And he's gone, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And he's done one move and he goes, that's it. And I go, very good, excellent. And, and walked off and gone, holy shit. I could not yeah. like. Yeah, you were concussed. Yeah, concussed. Yeah. But this was like. Um, 20 minutes later that I'm still yeah. having yeah. kind of those little blackouts and I'm like so they um, uh, I've got a, I've got a friend of mine works for the uh, combat sports authority now and they're starting to get a lot more serious so the as you know MMA in Australia was really unregulated geez up until recently until what a couple of years ago really and then it's really only until just recently that the, the new South Wales combat sports authority who are probably at the moment the the strictest, I might say. Like yeah. Vic, Melbourne, Victoria, pretty strict as well. And I think a lot of that was bringing the UFC in, sort of got them all to pick their game up. Yeah, they had to. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. they had to put together something. They had to have everything in place. Yes. And, you know, both from a safety perspective, but also, you know, from a financial perspective, you know, they want to take advantage of the biggest yeah. MMA promotion uh, coming to Sydney. So, look, I, I know a lot of people complain about it, but I actually think, um, you know, work they're doing is good you know they're doing the right thing and it can be frustrating at times dealing with some of the online stuff and the requirements but in the end it's, it's about looking after the sport the industry mm -hmm. um the fighters 
obviously I'd like to see a few more um, MMA or martial arts educated people yeah. in the system yeah, helping I it I totally out. Agree. Um, I totally agree. But overall, it is a good thing that they're doing here. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I do. We've both been through the unregulated phase. Like, um, I started I started with you guys in 2005, which compared to now was the Wild West. I mean, you started in 95, basically, yeah, or something. Yeah, I mean, no, that's, yeah, 95 is when I started. I mean, if, if it was the Wild West in 2005, 95 was... Well, well 97, I when I had my first... No. Um, some of my first uh, shows, it was headbutts and... Yeah. Um, no gloves and everything kicks on the ground. It's yeah. just... It was truly, it was, again, back then it was referred to as no holds barred, not mixed martial arts, you mm -hmm. know, so I went through that era where it, it was, was more of a spectacle than a sport at that stage. I mean, that, that story. Oh, entirely. Told. It yeah. was, people went there because you're like, somebody might die. Some, this is, somebody's eye's going to fall out. Some, yeah. Like, something crazy is going to happen. Whereas now, it's people are going more so, it's a sport and it's, there's still that degree of, you know, someone's going to get fucked up. That's why a lot of people are going to watch. But, no, of course. But, but it's... It's but now people have uh, yeah. favourites they yeah. want to follow. Yeah, they're, they're like, they oh, look, careers. he just did a, he did a get-up. Oh, he just got off the floor. Oh, look, he got mounted. Whereas before it was like, he's just punching him and, and hopefully he keeps punching him type thing. Yeah. But where I was going with the with the CTE stuff or the, the, the concussion stuff is I was talking to this buddy of mine and he said the issue with concussions is... So they had a, a doctor come out who's the... I think he's the NRL. The NRL have got more serious about it, apparently. Yep. Um, I think they're still putting guys back on who are being concussed, but I think they're getting better. Um, and he had to talk to these guys at the commission, and basically what he said was, it's not necessarily the first concussion that's the one that you're going to have someone die from. Because they're worried, what they're worried about, and this is what like people people that are in the industry, like you and I, that have been in it for a long time, are sort of going, you know, it's over-regulated. But what these people don't want is someone dead in one of their cages or rings. And I, yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, the go no government body wants that on there. Well, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that on there. No, that's exactly right. Um, but the things they put in play might stop a fight from happening that would have happened before. So people get a bit a bit pissed. Or, or, you know, the fight gets stopped earlier than the average guy thinks it should. But he said it's not that first concussion. It's the one, it's, you, it's you've suffered a concussion and then it's the second shot that... that that comes in after that. That's the one that tends to, um, you know, so in these boxing matches where guys are dying, it's like he gets a big concussion in the third, the referee allows it to continue. and Because it's, you get your eight count, you get that that's right. It's like the 10th round, then he gets hit again, and that's the one he doesn't get up from. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, you're talking about that double one. That's probably, that's like the, brace, the brain's already bruised, and now you're smacking it again. That's when things like aneurysms and bleeds happen. So I wonder, like, you know, you might have been really lucky. You don't. You don't think of it because, like, no, it's just it, something look, we do all the time. But it, it, for a few years, it was a funny story. Mm. But in hindsight, you know, it's made me realise. Yeah. And, and again, that's that's why I've looked in, you know, um, ways to um, improve cognitive function, improve brain repair, um, using you know diet and supplementation and yeah. that sort of stuff. Because you know, I look back and I realise I, I probably took a bit of damage in there. So. Oh yeah, I mean. If anyone goes back and through, I mean, fight passes out now, so you can go back through and watch all your old UFC fights. From yep. UFC 30, I think, was your first. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I jumped in when um, Zufa took over. I know. Uh, so, first show with uh, Zufa. Um, yeah, kind of 223. I'm like, wow, that's nearly it's 200 madness. UFCs ago. That Well, not I, just that. I mean, take all the fight nights and the ultimate fight. Like, we're talking, well, yeah. we're talking probably closer to 500 events since then, like. 
probably if you do the numbers, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, it is a pretty pretty crazy uh, time. And, and, and yeah, I think look, it must be said that you went in and beat the number one light heavyweight in the world in your debut. What? Is that correct? He was the, the, he, well, the number Lord one contender, contender, which is, which right, is the number okay. two at the time. So. so, you know, Jeremy Horn, but everyone was like, this guy's the boogeyman. He was a submission guy. He was... He was doing stuff. This was before everyone had jiu-jitsu as well. Was... Well, he'd fought with um, Nogueira at heavyweight, went the distance, was never in trouble. Same thing, he was fought, He had a fight, kept it standing with Anderson Silva, had no issues, uh, and apparently actually tore his groin during the fight, but still finished oh, he's tough as the old fight. Like, he's yeah. one of the, yeah, the toughest guys no, in the sport. What was his record in the He had over 100 fights in the end. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think in the end when he retired, or something like 150. Could even be 200. I'm not sure, but he... You know, he was one of those guys that fought through the Midwest circuit. Yeah. Um, was almost, was fights, yeah, yeah, a bit like Travis Fulton was fighting every weekend um, and then going in for the big big shows when he had the opportunity. Um, and everyone had been for months, you know, talking about Jeremy and Tito need to fight. You know, this is the fight to make. This is what everyone wants to see. Um, you know, the wrestling versus the jiu-jitsu and, you know, Jeremy striking and his versatility. Um, and he had a opponent um, matched up which was Cafe Dante which was a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt um, and but everyone was like no nah, you know Jeremy's gonna take this and then he'll you know this is the number one contender match and he'll go in and, and fight Tito and that's what everyone was talking about what they wanted to see and then um, Cafe Dante got a staff big hole in his leg um, had to pull out of the fight so it got canned and then um, they needed to find a replacement, and obviously no one wants to take a short notice replacement, you know, with Jeremy Horn. I think it was something like 10 or 14 days or 12 days. I can't remember exactly. It's about somewhere in the 10 to two week period. Yep. Um, it may have been a little more, and then by the time they contacted me, it may have been about that 10 to 12 day mm. um, period. But because I'd fought Frank Shamrock in K1 just the month before uh, the set, uh, a month or two before in um, Japan, I went the distance with him five rounds in K1. Um, Jeremy Horn's last loss was to Frank Shamrock um, in the UFC in a fight that he was dominating for the majority of the fight and then pretty much in the closing minutes um, from a scramble where Jeremy had his back, Frank picked up his leg and knee barred him. Um, so everyone was like, well, you know. I didn't think leg locks work, but isn't that the, isn't that the thing to yeah. say nowadays? Anyway. Pretty much, they, they still don't. Yeah, so. sure. Um, so because um, we both had that history, like they were kind of selling me as the guy that um, Frank Shamrock couldn't put away. He was mm -hmm. a previous champion that beat Jeremy, and then if Jeremy puts me away, then it's going to show that he's improved and deserves a title shot. So I think it was... I was pretty much put in there as a lamb led to the slaughter. Like, but how I mean, does that how does that come about? So, because let's let's remind ourselves, this is '97, right? Uh, no, uh, the Jeremy fight was Sorry, 2001. 2001, okay. 2001. Let's look at 2001. But 2001 was pre pre iPhones. Pre, it's hard to remember that, but like, yeah. it was even the internet wasn't that good. I'm pretty sure it was just dial up back then. Remember, you'd have to yeah, yeah pretty it was, much. It was, it was dial up. Yeah. It was dial -up. So like other than um, we didn't even other than big companies they had rounds. Well, sure, but like, like we um, 
it was even just getting results was difficult. There wasn't like all this media coverage. Like, well, so yeah, there was no YouTube. It was all tape was, trading. There was nothing. VHS. I mean, there was nothing. Like I remember back then, I was watching the UFC on on VHS. How does it go that that you get a call? Obviously, so it was something to do with that that K one fight. Did they contact? I mean, you well, what happened manager. was how did, is, they, how did they even contact? What, yeah. So what happened was is, um, as you said back then, there was no. Um, real internet no no facebook no social media um no forums what there were were um public bulletin boards where you kind of posted stuff on um and it was email lists so you know this was back yeah. in the era where we had sure. emails so everyone would email into an email list and then everyone would get the reply and then you could reply to it and then if you send a reply to that email list, it went out to everyone, and you could either... Basically a really crappy version of texting. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, or group text. Or yeah. Like, yeah, mess yeah, yeah. basically Messenger, like Messenger yeah. via email. Sure. Now, you had two options. You could do it live, where individual messages were coming through, or you could get a digest at the end of the day, and then you'd send your replies to the digest. And because, obviously, being based in Australia, um, the live one wasn't yeah. possible because the majority of... Pretty much everyone that was on the list was um, in the US, yeah, North America. So I was on a, what was called the, the combat list. So the combat list digest. Um, you know, I'd come into work every morning, see what everyone's talking about, respond backwards and forwards. Um, and through that you know, email list, I met the um, future promoter of UCC, which became TKO, which is the organization in Canon. Yeah. Yep, that, that um, was GSP, GSP yeah. where yep. GSP came from. Yeah. I made a connection with them. Um, and actually, in 2000, in October, I got a fight with um, on their show where I fought for the heavyweight world title. Same thing because they had injury pullout, they couldn't get any replacements, and because um, the guy on the mailing list knew I was keen to fight and I'd already been chatting with them about getting on as a light heavyweight um, but they're like no no we've got too many we need heavyweights and so I was supposed to go on to their second show into the heavyweight tournament what's your weight at that stage uh, I probably would have been walking around at pretty much light heavyweight weight about 93 maybe 94 95 kilos yeah. it's like um, that would have been um, which to the if any US people are listening, I would have been walking around at between 205, 210, yeah. um, maybe 215 max um, sort of thing. But because I, I just wanted the opportunity to fight and my previous fights had all been at heavyweight anyway, open weight yeah. um, classes, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll fight in their second show in the heavyweight tournament and um, do that. And then because they already had my details, I got the, the fight on there. I uh, ended up being with Dave Benito. I uh, got screwed over a little bit, went the distance, um, ended up being a draw. Oh, he was another ex-UFC veteran as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, he was yeah. a big guy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and then through that fight, um, I got a fight with um, Frank Shamrock, same thing. Um, at that stage, the way I got the fight is I emailed... I was already emailing some of the promoters and um, uh, managers around the world, trying to you know get a contact, you know, trying yeah. to get someone to get me fights, and through that. Because at this stage, the UFC was still owned by SEG, is that right? Yes, at this yes. stage, it was, 
it was still owned by SEG. So who was matchmaking for them? I forget who was. Uh, John Peretti. Right. Yeah. And I, um, yeah, yeah, okay. I'd actually contacted John Peretti about getting a fight. He kind of looked into it. He goes, yeah, we'd be interested in getting you out. And then he looked at the, the numbers, what it would cost to fly me out and the corner person. And he's like, look, it's going to be too expensive. And I'm like, look, just fly me out. Don't worry about a corner. And they're like, no, it's still too expensive. Because this is a business and he goes, this yeah, stage yeah. is about to be sold. Like, they don't want it anymore. It's basically costing them money. Well, right? no, this was um, before, like, I'd contacted him before oh, I got right, sold. Okay. Look, it may be, it may yeah. have been in the process yeah. of, yeah. you know, negotiating and stuff. Um, but I couldn't get any fights. Um, and, again, I was putting my name and number out. And that's how, you know, um, Frank Shamrock's manager um, got a hold of it. They contacted me and I got the fight. Um, they actually originally wanted either, you know, someone like Yuki Kondo or Kiyoshi Tamura. And Tamura is someone I'd fought um, in rings. They were trying to get a big Japanese name because Frank's goal was to get into um, Pride. And so he was using K1 as the springboard and he needs to beat, beat a big name Japanese opponent. So he could negotiate the purse he wanted. Uh, he couldn't get that fight because I'd fought Kiyoshi Tamura. He'd heard about me, and then um, they contacted me, and I pretty much got it. They, they contacted me early on in the negotiating process, and they said, look, you know, we're looking at a few other opponents. We'll get back to you. And I'm like, okay. And they never got back to me until 10 days before the fight. <laughs> had I, they booked someone got, else for him? They had booked someone? They'd been trying to. They, they were just in got negotiation. Like wasn't gonna happen. Well, at the last second, they all pulled out. Cause and the, do you think that it was your name wasn't big enough that you were a risky fight? That what, like what? Well, no, no. The reason I wasn't getting it early, I wasn't big enough name. Yeah, as yeah. I said, K1, they needed yeah. a Japanese opponent again. The two uh -huh. main ones was Yuki Kondo, star of Pancras, and Kiyoshi Tamura, star of Rings, two of the biggest organizations in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, they were the two names they were looking at, and it was purely... I'm guessing because of my connection with um, Kiyoshi Tamura, because I'd fought him uh, in a bout and did really well, even though I lost to him, um, but I got contacted. But again, digressing, it goes back to the original point, how did the UFC hear about me? Uh, and it was that combat mailing list, Joe Silva. Oh, he was on it. He was on oh, the mailing list, but he wasn't the matchmaker at the time. He was, I think he was an assistant to the matchmaker and he did other tasks for the UFC. And he was pretty much someone a little bit lower ranked, but he was a massive MMA fan. Like so, he knew Shudo yeah, and Pancras. That, yeah. uh, and on the combat list, I used to speak to him, and he was one of the few guys that really did know. Mm. You know, he had, he did even he though he wasn't it, yeah. a martial artist, he, he did understand what was going on and the skill levels and because he was a guy that that no one ever really got to hear from so he never no, spoke he to the never media. Liked, I don't know if it was that he wasn't allowed no or no he never wanted I mean still to this day, could have been still to this day doesn't and like I, th I think geez if, if Ariel Hawani or someone like that got with him you could feel hours you could, oh, absolutely you could feel he has, five he has, hours worth of talking he has tons of stories imagine and, he but was, he doesn't was, like the limelight no no he doesn't you know he was happy to but do his he job made get the, paid he, for it he was at the UFC when the UFC was whatever I'm feeling in love with yeah, you know, and not then, saying what's happening now is not fantastic, but it, it was different, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. And then obviously when UFC got bought out by Zufa, they didn't want Peretti on board anymore because he was a bit of a polarizing figure. He was a bit brash, mm -hmm. and you know, it would it just didn't fit the image that Zufa was looking for. Yeah. Um, so. Well, they were trying to legitimize everything. Yeah, you know, they, they were the they got um, 
they helped with the sanctioning for New, New Jersey and they made sure their first ever show was a sanctioned show by an yep. athletic commission. Are you going to write? You said you've been a bit... Are you going to write in? Oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but they... Um, so I'd met Joe already on the mailing list and he'd already seen me chatting to the guys from um, UCC. He knew my fight there. Knew my, um, then obviously then saw my fight with Frank, chatted to me about it. Um, and we were already, you know, chatting good friends because, you know, we had that connection, that love of uh, MMA and yep. um, not just, you know, uh, casual fans, but deep, deep fans of the sport, the skills, uh, the matchups, um, everything. So obviously once he became the matchmaker, he knew who I was and when they couldn't find a replacement opponent, he's going, you know, mm. who, who's, who's the sort of person who'll take it on last minute notice, won't care who he's fighting yeah. and will step, step up. Beautiful. And, you know, so I got the call, um, Fort Jeremy and it's funny, there was a, a paper called Full Contact Fighter. So again, before all the mm. news websites, sure. it was a, a magazine um, newsletter that would go out. People would buy subscriptions. It'd go out every month. Email? Uh, no, it was a physical. Oh, it was really? Physically so by the time mailed you get out. It, it's like a month or two out of day. Yeah, anyway. because yeah. back then yeah. it wasn't. Um, awesome. Uh, I don't think they even had PDFs back then. I, I mean, you imagine, wrong. without getting off off topic, but you imagine, like we have such a, an access to information. Something happens in. North America right now. Well, as, as we know said, about it right now. Yeah. Not, what happened on the weekend? You no, know, no, as soon as this. Yeah, imagine you get imagine you get a only, piece of paper two, six weeks later, and it says Conor McGregor throws the thing at a bus. And you're like, six weeks later, later it's gone, yeah. it's done. Like, or even four weeks, let's say. You know, best case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. Full contact fighter was a, um, paper newsletter that got mailed out, um, and I think remember if they had a kind of website or oh. but anyway um, I ended up getting a copy of, of, of that and um, basically they would do what they do now is the, the, the same thing they do with Twitter where they would get fighters and get their opinions yeah, and yeah. match make you know you know who do you think is going to win this fight and they they did a couple of fights on the card because uh, there was Tito versus uh, Evan Tanner which was obviously a big title fight at the time um, and then Jeremy was on the card against me and he was supposed to be the number one contender, which that's why they're on the same card. So if anything happened to yeah, Evan, fall, yeah. uh, Jeremy could have jumped yep. up into yep. it. And so, But by fighting on the same card as well, the number one contender spot, it means they'd both be ready about the same time for the next show. Sure, yeah. I mean, they still tr sort of try to do that, haven't fight a few months apart if they're trying to mirror guys up a little. Yeah, they're just... It's a bit harder. I think they could be a bit better at it, but yeah. hey, that, that's my well, opinion. Well, nothing sticks anymore. I mean, this last no. week, we'll talk yeah. about it in a second. <laughs> last week's been the craziest week. But anyway, every single person who um, gave uh, a breakdown of the fight said, Jeremy Horn will win by submission in under three minutes. Every single one of them. Like, literally, they all said the same thing. It yeah. was like... There was only one other person, one other fighter, so I can't remember what it was, that had kind of like, you know, 70-30 going for them. Yeah. But mine was, I think, one of the first ones ever that was 100%, uh, I had no chance. You were just a lamb of the slaughter. Pretty much. What was your jiu-jitsu uh, game at that stage? Like, you were a what were blue belt? Purple, purple what were you, what were you I was a, a new purple belt. Um, no, no, sorry, I was a... 
I'd been purple belt for a while, but I was, okay. I was still a purple belt yeah. um, at that stage. Um, I'd initially been a top player, and then I'd kind of around blue belt, kind of decided I need to work my guard game, and then I became known for triangles yeah, I mean, and, that's and still, arm yeah, bars, and that's thing, still yeah. still yeah. my thing. Um, and I pretty much. But what I'm getting at, did you think the rest, did the rest of the world see? Not everybody was a juicy black belt then, like. No. So even then, a purple belt was still a, still impressive, you know, reasonable. Yeah, but the UFC had already had some jujitsu black belt, like Carlos Bajeto, yeah. who was, you know, and um, had guys um, like that who'd come into the UFC. Sure. You know, Marco Huas, who wasn't a jujitsu black belt, was a. Yeah, what um, was it? Um, oh, it's that uh, wrestling style, a uh, lucha libre. That's right. right. He was a lucha libre black belt, yeah. which were the. Um, the enemies or the uh, of, of the uh, of the jiu-jitsu, yeah, yeah. you know, so that the lucha leave were the no gi jiu-jitsu guys, sort right. of things, and they had a lot of clashes with, um, you know, the, the Gracies and stuff like that. But anyway, so there there'd been still quite a few, and obviously, you know, I was a purple belt, but mm. Jeremy Horn had already gone and fought like <laughs> Nogueira, who was a black belt yeah. back then, and yeah. I think he'd faced other black belts and stuff. Yeah, they're like this purple belt, he doesn't stand a chance. Well, yeah, you know, I was looked at more as a straight jiu-jitsu guy, you yeah. know, no striking or anything yeah. like that, and limited jiu-jitsu, um, very little MMA experience, you know. I'd had um, only a couple of fights, you know, obviously I had a couple of fights in Australia that I'd won, won the Australian title, but they're like, you know, it's Australia. Um, yeah. You know, the losses to Frank and to the, the draw with, um, the, um, in the UCC, which again, I don't think, no one ever saw because the footage was never released. Yeah, so I've never seen that. No. no. Um, they did film it, but because I think it was a bit of a travesty, they, they never it. released it. Right. Because basically, um, he gave up during the fight. They stopped the fight, they let him recover, and then restarted the, the fight. Because yeah. yeah, Dave yeah. Benito was the hometown, it was the Canadian, yeah. Canada was the heavyweight title, and then I think I should have got the win, but yeah. he got the, we ended up getting a draw, so they didn't have to give away a belt. And I'm like, ah, what can you do now? Yeah. Um, but that got me that fight in the UFC, which then led to my title fight, and then, you know, here I we mean, are today. We could talk about, I feel like we could fill hours and hours talking about your UFC fights, but to sort of, um, maybe to keep people uh, on the other end here interested, like, what, what, are we, what do you got for us that people don't know about, like backstage stuff or something? These are things that people... people okay, people one like. of the most polarising figures uh, inside the USC is obviously Dana White. Sure, yeah. So, you know, I met Dana... Um, Pretty much when he first came on board, UFC was, was skinny Dana. I skinny yeah. Dana with hair, yeah, yeah. balding with yeah. hair. Um, you know, had his family working um, behind the scenes. You know, um, relatives and stuff doing runners and admin stuff and and things like that. And um, you know, look, I was still a big fanboy. I'd gotten into the UFC. I'd come to um, to uh, no, sorry, it wasn't Vegas. It was um, New Jersey. You know, the fight was in the Trump uh, Taj Mahal. This was the Tito fight, right? No, this, I'm, I'm going to the very first, UFC oh. 30, which was the Jeremy Horn okay, fight. Okay, right. So, and one of my first times um, meeting Dana, I can't remember if I met him in passing before this or if this was the, the very first instance. So, you know, I'm in, I'm Jer I'm in Jersey and 
Um, I'm in the casino. I'm like, you know, I care very little about gambling mm. or any of that stuff. So I knew Joe, um, and I went down to the office, you know, from the first day. Joe Silver or Rose? Joe Silver. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, from that, um, I met, you know, other people, Josh, Josh Hedges, the photographer. I met some of the, uh, and, you know, me and also Josh. Josh, that's their photographer now, was still there. Yeah, back there, back really? there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and some admin people, you know, I, I, I just went down to the office. People say it's like, it was like a big family, like really up it until was. the end. When yeah, they, yeah, yeah, like, as I said, I, I went down there and all I did, I used to just sit, a lot of the fighters would come down, do their stuff and leave. And I used to sit in the office and chat to the guys and, mm. you know, and one day I was, well, one of the first days I was there, it may have been like the second day or something like that, you know. I was there on the um, uh, very early, getting to know the guys and hanging out, checking. Like I was, again, I was a fanboy, so I yeah. was watching all these fighters come in. Yeah. So that's why I was hanging out in the office because yeah. I knew eventually all the fighters. And but then you end up fighting these guys. Which yeah, I look, I did, yeah. but. I, I tell people as much as I'm a fighter, I'm a bigger yeah. fan. You know, I've been a fan of the sport. I think most longer. people, most people are. It's like some of these guys don't want to admit that, but I think most of them are yeah. as well. So I'm sitting in the office, and you know, just for various reasons, all the staff have gone out to do some stuff, and I'm just sitting there ch chilling. And of course, this is even crazier. Back in the day, I didn't have a phone. I couldn't, you know, check messages. I couldn't do play games. On my phone, I had nothing. I was just sitting there, just chilling. Yeah. Um, and this phone, um, and I think it may have been Joe's, I can't remember, but uh, just standing, and it rings, 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 rings out, and then it stopped. Then it rings again, and then again. And I'm thinking, somebody obviously uh, needs to get in touch with someone. I better jump in and save the day here. So I picked up the phone and I go, um, Good afternoon, UFC, Elvis speaking. Um, who am I speaking with? And I, I can't remember who it was at the time. They give me a name. I said, look, just give me a second. I've written their name down. I said, look, nobody's in the office moment. They've just gone. Everyone's popped out. They've been gone for about 10, 15 minutes. So I'm assuming they'll hopefully be back soon. What I'll do is I'll take a message for me. Let me know who you want to chat to. Give me your best contact number. I'll pass it on. Um, I can't guarantee if they'll call you straight away, but I do guarantee that they will get your message. And um, so, you know, I've got the name, the number, I've written a short message on what they want. And while I'm on the phone, Dana walks in. I'm chatting away, making notes. Um, and then the guy's gone, um, you know, thank you very much. And I went, no, no problem. I went, um, just remember, UFC is the number one sport in the world. Uh, we look forward to uh, hearing back from you. Have a good day. And I've hung up. You've and done that for Dana or you've done that? No, I just did it. Just, just, yeah. You know, because I was excited to yeah. be there. Yeah. And, Dana, and Dana's... Um, how old are you at this I, stage? I so let's uh, just... Sorry, sorry to cut in this. You're, how old are you at that stage? Is it 2000? 2001. So I, would, I actually would have been 30. So you're 30. That's okay. So you're 30. Just so I'm still a big kid at 30. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, and I didn't actually see Dana walk in. And I've gone. He's gone. Oh, oh. He goes. Yeah, I must have met him before because he he knew my name. He goes, Elvis, what are you doing? And I went, Dana. 
I'm part of the family here, you know. I'm here to fight, but I'm here to help out in any way I can. Phone was ringing. Someone needed to take a message. I'm here to do my part. Yeah. And I think ever since then, Dana's had you know a lot yeah, of respect yeah. for me and yeah. um, he appreciated that. And he goes, you don't need to do that. Don't worry. And I'm like, you know what? You don't worry. I will do whatever it is necessary to help out. You know, my job's to not just fight, but help promote this uh, company. He's like, great work. And then he, you know, he's done whatever he's done and mm. walked off. And Do you feel like that relationship with him continued? Like, obviously, it's very much changed between him and fighters nowadays. It's so big. But would you have anything to do with him when it came time to negotiate contracts? Like, would no, you do I, that I, did, I, did, Joe? I did everything through Joe. I didn't yeah. have anything to do with him. Yeah. But I had a really good relationship with him. Yeah. Um, I will say he did make a few promises that he never kept, but I'm not going to um, uh, hold him to it. You know, he always he's, he did say I'd always have a place with the company, and that when we expanded to Australia, I'd definitely be on board. I'm just if you right. Dana, if you're listening to this, well, he, you he, owe me. I'd say he probably is, so you you may as well let him know now. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, that's just yeah. one of the the inside stories. Um, yeah. You know, that's pretty much what it was like. You know, yeah. every time I went out there, um, even though I, I knew I had a job to do. do um, I guess very early on, I realized that my job wasn't just fighting, it was promoting it in the lead up to the yep. fight. Um, you know, and, and I had a, I also felt I had a duty to Australians, you know, to mm. kind of represent myself and the country in the best possible way. And, um, you know, and I wanted to be a role model, you know, I didn't want to be um, someone people complained about. I wanted to be remembered as, you know, someone who went out when they fought you know, they gave their heart, win, lose, or draws, put everything into it, left it all in the cage. Um, uh, I always showed respect for my opponent, regardless of, yep. you know, what happened, yep. um, and just being an absolute professional in all, all that I do in, the, in that, that sort of uh, area. So hopefully, you know, that has come across through my career for those. I think, I think definitely. I mean, everybody, take up like, if you knew nothing about... Australian MMA and you looked at your record people would think who's this guy how is this guy like the original pioneer but as we know records are not MMA records are not you know that, that's not how you judge a guy yeah. I mean um, on the weekend you had Joe Lozon Joe Lozon's got something like 15 something losses he's had 40 or 15 losses but no one looks at him as a guy who he look, everyone looks at him as like one of the most exciting warriors around so yeah and one of the most decorated you know yeah I mean this guy's got who, one of the largest number of performance bonuses like, uh, 17 or something ridiculous I think they said like it was ridiculous but f for you like you never said no to a fight you fought I mean if, if we the just of times I fought injured I mean Jesus Christ if we rattle off names I mean it was Evan Tanner which I mean pe people nowadays don't know who these guys are but if you I think if you're a real sport uh, sport fan nowadays you should go back fight passes there yeah. and watch it all and get a feel like a feel for the sport get get a feel of it growing Absolutely. don't just watch now the odd card everyone just trot it out and like watch it from i mean you fought evan tanner tito ortiz forrest griffin frank shamrock vladimir Mate, did you fight vladimir no, i didn't fight Mate, you didn't Mate, fight Mate, Mate, um um oh, i'm blanking but i mean this uh, hanato babalu babalu uh jeremy horn jeremy horn yeah like you said frank shamrock, shamrock. Yeah, so numerous, numerous world. And the oh, other Bisping. Thing, yeah, Bisping. You know, the, I, I fought current or past current or future world champions. I fought quite a few. I mean, considering. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, yeah. It's absolutely. And it's. So I think there's something to that. There's plenty of guys. And nowadays, you know, there's. What have we got? Like maybe 15 Australians that have fought for the UFC, something like that. And 
and uh, and absolutely no disrespect to those guys, but it's a different um, the the entry, the doors there, the doors open. It's like you just got to yes. get to the door and get your way in. It's it's an actual thing now. You if you put the right fights together, you can get there. But well, that's I mean, the thing. That, a, that, I mean, that, you that, got there via a fucking email list. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, well, this is back then. They're just fighting. Now that you have the opportunity to build up, like there was no MMA circuit here in Australia, so it was very hard. I was doing sports jiu-jitsu, sports karate, jiu-jitsu competitions, you know, uh, in, in uh, parentheses, yeah. uh, grappling competitions, jiu-jitsu competitions, freestyle wrestling competitions. I was doing whatever I could to, to kind of compete and get better competition, and, yeah. uh, and to stay busy, you know, because there was no... And, you know, there was the odd show out here. Mm. There was, as I said, there wasn't many in that time. Um, there was no way to build a record. And when they finally wanted to bring me over to the US, um, there was no, you know what, let's, you know, build his career. Let's nah, give him like fight. Because, because of the amount of, again, the cost to the company at the time is if they're going to bring me out, they're going to put me in high profile fights because yeah. they want to um, maximize their financial input because you know it, well, it wasn't viable for them to give me undercard fights after flying me out from Australia. So well, you couldn't even, from memory, you couldn't watch it on pay per view then in Australia. I don't think yeah, you could. I, I don't think you could. So, back so like, I think it was still back in so the So, what's the point in putting in all this money in an Australian guy? You know, yeah. it's not going to draw extra buys from in Australia. The US, no, like, it was about building up yeah. um, the talent that they yeah. had out yeah. there. I mean, it's phenomenal. But it wasn't um, until later that it, you know it all started coming on TV, and then obviously the Ultimate Fighter, and that's how I got um, again because I was already, um, I guess you would refer to as a journeyman. Yeah. They knew I um, the quality that I, I brought, the fact that I, I I put it all in the cage. I came to fight. It was always going to be exciting, and win, lose, or draw, I'd build up. Yeah. Um, the opponent in front of me, so that's why you know I got um, Forrest Griffin, who ended up mm. being a world champion. I got yeah. um, Michael Bisping, who ended up being a world champion. And and to um, be honest, you're not a light heavyweight. You're a middleweight. You, well, you in, today, in, in today's world, I, mean, I would be a middleweight. Yeah, you're probably a small middleweight now. If you're looking at Luke, like you're the same same sort of build as Luke Rockhold, but smaller. Obviously, better looking. Of course. Um, and more well spoken. Yeah. Uh, you know that's the sort of same sort of build. Like you, you're you're a big middleweight. That's who you should have been, and you were yeah. fighting monsters. I mean, Tito, Tito looked. I mean, we've talked about this. Yeah. You said that he was like grabbing hold of a statue. Yeah, it was like hitting a brick wall when I when I tied up with him. I it mean, was huge. you don't like to cast aspersions, and I and I wouldn't like to. But I mean, this is all pre-Usada as well. So, no, absolutely. You, know, you always have to wonder. Oh look, it was, back in the day, <laughs> it was pretty was much happening. expected they were yeah. doing it. Like. Yeah. And again, for me, it was never a concern because, you know, as I said, I started in heavyweight. I was fighting guys, I think one of the biggest guys was about 120 kilos. Um, I, mean, I don't like going against guys that big in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Let alone mixed martial arts where they can punch and kick you. Like, that's that's full on. How many, um, have you ever counted? How many stitches? I mean, you've been cut plenty of times. How many st have you counted? No, nah, I, I Probably, I never... Never occurred to me to, to keep It'd track. It'd probably be interesting. It's probably a reasonable. It's probably. Oh, it was I mean, a, what, probably a good 50 number. Hundred. Yeah, something like that. Um, you know. Again, but the majority of again was superficial. Yeah. It was a lot of bruising. Um, yeah. Stitches, yeah. swelling. Do you think you bruised more than most guys? I mean, you looked horrendous after fights. Do you think it was? 
I think again that just comes down to my chin yeah. as well. Like you were taking more than I mean Joe Lozon today would look terrible after his fight yesterday. Yeah. At um two twenty three. Yeah. And you always looked worse, you know, after straight in the in the cage you never look as bad as you do like even an hour later or let alone twenty four hours yeah. later. Yeah. But I was always I always healed pretty quickly. Yeah. Like usually within seven days I was almost back to normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did, after, there was a couple of fights where I looked like a melon head and I had people looking at me funny, um, you know, uh, the Sakara fight, um, yeah, the Baba fight, even the Bisping fight, because again, Bisping's not a power puncher, he's a volume puncher, so you get hit a lot, yeah. and when you get yeah. hit a lot, you get a lot of bruising and yeah. swelling post-fight. I mean, that was a, that was a nasty pace as well. Mm. Um, I, I think we could talk about UFC till the cows come home. I wanted to also talk about Australian Jiu-Jitsu. I mean, you've been there from pretty much the beginning of that as well. Yeah, um, I think the first competition circuit in Australia was um, Australian Submission Championships, which was um, was actually, uh, I believe, run by Anthony Lange and um, was one of the first you know, competitions. And, you know, it wasn't even called a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It was a grappling competition. We had you know, people... You have judo guys and judo guys and jujitsu guys and um, pancreation guys and stuff like that competing um, back when I first started, um, and then eventually, um, you know, the, it started to build. Um, so who Peter was the first, set up? Who was the know, first jujitsu guy in Australia? Was it John Will? John Is that right? John Will. So John yeah, Will trained so, with the Machado brothers. So what happened? That was a really quick timeline. Again, so back back in the day, again, because we had no internet, no yeah, YouTube, yeah. no um, websites, it was all um, from magazines. And, you know, the first magazine to really introduce, what well, was the first magazine to introduce Jiu-Jitsu to Australia was Blitz. Blitz, yeah. Blitz magazine. And it was an old karate magazine, right? Is that? Yeah. yeah. Well, it was a martial arts magazine. Karate, yeah. Kung Fu, yeah. Tai Chi, Jiu-Jitsu, Judo. Well, actually, not much of Judo. But, you know, a lot of, it's just, just a martial arts magazine. And um, John Will, I believe, may have, I think may have been part owner, but was definitely one of the editors mm. on, the, on the magazine. And what happened was there was, um, for the life of me, I can't remember their name, but there was a Brazilian black belt who, I think, came to Australia or whatever and put out a $50,000 challenge that um, anyone who, but you had to put up, the, the no. money on the other half. Oh, how convenient. So you put up 50, he puts up 50, winner takes it all. So, and back to that, Which, but that was back... Been, I would that have been sceptical on that. I would have been... Uh... Back then, well, no one knew what jiu-jitsu was, or MMA was, or... Um... It was a, what was the offering, a no-rules fight? It was just yeah, off, basically. Yeah. Like a... A, a Gracie a, challenge. A, a Gracie yeah. challenge. It was yeah. basically yeah. a Gracie challenge, where you yeah. had to put... He put up money, you when put up this? money. When was this? Do you know what year it was? And I, I think it may have... Uh, uh, this... Like early 90s or mid-90s, uh, so it would have been not, it was mid 90s so I moved up to Sydney in 95 that's when I started um, but I, I think I read about it around the 94 95 kind of time might have been a bit early a bit later around that sort of mid 90s era so he put out this challenge um, saying that he you may have only need to put up 10 and he yeah. put up 50 but right. there was some sort it was basically a challenge and obviously he wasn't going to do it for free but um, he wanted to make money, but he obviously made it more incentive. Like, hey, look, yeah, you, you might, you might win. Effectively. Yeah. You're giving odds, yeah. 
Um, but no one knew what jiu-jitsu was or even what MMA was really. Yeah, I mean, a bloodbath, yeah. um, you know, UFC had come out, but not many people had kind of really heard about it. Jesus, I mean, 93 had started, so it would have been pretty yeah. early. Well, it, it could, as I said, it could have been 93 when that, yeah. mag, when that challenge came out. Yeah. or um, So John, I think John Will heard about it and he was doing, you know, Salat and um, a few other things. And he for Blitz, he was already traveling around the world. So he'd gone to Indonesia to train and compete in there and he was writing articles of his, of his journeys and he went to India and to the, uh, the wrestling pits of India. And so obviously he heard about this challenge. So he's like, you know what? Um, well, this is, I'm guessing this is what he did. He went to Brazil to find out um, about this Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, activity um, before, you know, kind of accepting Was he challenge. making a, a living from doing this? Like, is this what his job was? like? I th- I th- as I said, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. You'd probably um, have to ask him. Um, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, he was working or... Um, for the magazine, whether it was editing or being part owner or, or something like that. Um, and then, you know, that's where he went to Gracie Baja. Um, obviously met... Um, now, Grace- Baja, oh, I mean, I might be totally wrong. Is Baja in Rio? Rio, yes. Is in Rio? Actually, I can't... Yes, I think he... I'm trying to remember how he did it. I, I can't remember if he met the Machados there first yeah. or heard about them, then went to LA where he met Horian and then was introduced to Hegan. Right. Something like that. And I mean, but to remind everyone, back then, th- those guys weren't what they are now. They were just martial arts, weren't they? Like, well, now no they're, they're megastars. Yeah, absolutely. Because no one knew, you know... They were just guys. They were just, yet yeah, another martial art yeah. that no one had heard of. Um, so that's a, so, that's a pretty... Um, so he obviously, he introduced... If he discovered jiu-jitsu... Then he introduced it to his students. He actually took um, a couple of his students, one one of which was Peter Debean at the okay, time. Peter so Debean was one. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, Peter Debean right. was one of his students, and then they went to um, Brazil, took him over there, and yeah. obviously it was to Gracie Baja. Yeah. Um, so you know, Pete got a connection there, and they yeah. came back. Um, and what's really funny is people don't realize this: John Will's one of the first MMA pioneers, mm. like. Back then, he called you know it was called shoot fighting. Yeah, and so I mean, Danaher still uses that as his um as his description. He called yeah. it shoot boxing. Yeah. Shoot box. Yeah. yeah. So you know John Will had his shoot fighting, like he had the jiu-jitsu and the shoot fighting, and you know he expected his students to do uh, jiu-jitsu and the muay thai and the wrestling and the you know salat style striking, and mm-hmm. then you know it was integrating it all together because obviously you know it was a complete martial art. You need to cover all facets of it and the, and back then you know Pete, Pete's like nah I don't want to do any of this I just want to do jiu-jitsu and um, so he broke away and then he connected with Gracie Baja and then through that connection he obviously set up the AFBJJ um, and it kind of it kind of right. built up from there but yeah John Will was the first one I trained under Anthony Lange who was under John, who under discovered John Will, John Will. I think yeah. met found him through a jiu-jitsu seminar so you started your very first days of white belt. What year was that? Ninety five, six. What was that? It was ninety five. It was yeah. um, funnily enough October ninety five, and then mid October ninety five, I had my first jiu jitsu or grappling tournament. Yeah. Like I trained for two weeks, and um, but to be fair, you know, I did have a background. I'd done a little bit of judo as a little kid. I'd done some taekwondo, so yeah. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't clueless to um, 
to martial arts, you know. Uh, but I mean, I'd always know, had to, I mean, even yeah. then, but that brand of what you were doing then, I'm sure, is light years from what people are doing nowadays. Oh, absolutely, like, yeah. It's, um, it's, it, it has, it's grown and evolved. And, and look, really awesome. Um, my coach, Anthony Lange, he also just uh, went over, I think it was the yeah, Asian he's Open. Yeah, stuff, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. he won his, um, yeah. in his Masters division, he won his weight and open yeah. uh, gold medals. So, you know, awesome job yeah um by him but yeah look everything the sport um wasn't what it is today um as you mentioned um i started in 90 end of 95 i really kind of say start of 96 because i i when i first started in 95 i wasn't because where i was living i wasn't being able to get out to training very yeah. often because i just moved to sydney for windows 95 I've been look. I've been tr- started. So just to let everyone know, you were a um, software. What was your what was your IT, IT consultant? IT just an IT consultant. consultant. I predominantly did help desk work, but I did a okay. bit of network admin yeah. and maintenance right. and that stuff through the years. But I'd moved up to Sydney. Was working for Microsoft. I'd moved uh, when I moved hey, into I, Sydney. I think Windows ninety five was better better than Windows seven or, or Vista or whatever that horrible thing they made there a few years ago. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, there's another point. Yeah. Um, but I, I moved up to Sydney for that. When I moved to Sydney, I moved to Leichhardt. Um, I could again because actually let's confirm. Ninety five was the one with that green rolling background as the desktop. Was that it? Was that ninety five? You know how it had like that green hill and like a yeah. blue sky. Was yeah, that yeah I, I think that's the one. Yeah, yeah, that was solid. That was I well, it was some of the best work. It was it was a beautiful um, theft of the the Macintosh, Macintosh operating system. They did a fantastic job of copying really? it, and making it. Yeah, because before that everything was DOS. Mm. So Windows yes. was the yes. first GUI. Oh, you're right, actually. Because yes. I've been watching, I've been getting, I don't know why, I've been into like seeing documentaries on big companies from when yep. they were little. And uh, there's a couple of good Apple ones. And, and that was Jobs' big thing was he wanted icons. Like they said, this, yep. they said, there's so much we have to do to make this happen. And he's like, people need to be able to click on it. I mean, yeah, obviously so Bill Gates went, yeah. A- yeah. Um, Macintosh or Apple back in the day created the first GUI, graphic user yeah. interface operating system. Um, with a mouse, right? With a that, mouse, yeah. no one else was, everyone no one, was just DOS. No, everything, like everything was DOS and, and text, forward, yeah, forward, forward slash. slash and, yeah. Um, so they obviously saw the success, Microsoft saw the success of it and jumped on with their, you know, Windows 95, which was their first GUI-based uh, operating system. And the smart thing, um, the reason Microsoft is everywhere is back in the early days, um, Apple wouldn't license license out their operating system to anyone. They mm-hmm. had, you know, they it was wanted, called end to end, wasn't it? Is that right? They called theirs end to end or something like. Basically, uh, mean no one could do any input. Theirs was a yeah, close thing. No it's a close was, system. Yeah. yeah. Whereas uh, Microsoft Yaki, went, just went. Um, he did a fantastic deal where um, IBM just paid a couple of dollars for each operating system. But the agreement was that they had to have it on every single computer. Yeah. And so obviously IBM then got huge, everyone got desktops, and then when they started doing clone PCs, Microsoft let them use their operating uh-huh. system. Uh-huh. Whereas yeah. when they tried to make clones of Apple, Apple wouldn't give their operating system yes. and no one could make an effective clone. And you know clone. what, that screwed IBM, because I just watched a documentary on this. Have you seen it or are you just pulling this out of your brain? I'm just pulling this out well, of my brain. That, all those concussions are going all right then because I just watched a documentary on Compaq. Compaq, yeah. you know, who, Compaq ended up, I think, Compaq, pairing with yeah. HP. I think they ended yeah. up becoming Hewlett yeah. Packard. And um, they, 
they came into the market. They were from Texas. There was these three dudes from Texas that, that knew. They, they were working at a, um, a place that built like uh, calculators and stuff. And, um, Texas Instruments, I think. Yeah, there you go. You have seen the documentary or are you just pulling this out of your brain? This is ridiculous. And the, um, the long and short of it is they make this company, they go, we want to make it a portable one, like a laptop now, but there was yeah. like a briefcase with a computer. And their big thing was that they made it, they worked out how to run um, the, the, the software. Yeah. It would run the software. The client, MS, MS it ran the software better than the IBM like computers it. would run it. Yeah. And they ended up going from 0% of the market to a huge percentage. Like it was unbelievable. It's a really cool, you have to, you have to watch it. I can't remember. I have to check called. it out. It's, a, it's on Netflix, it's quite good. And um, anyway, we're, we're sort of, I was talking about Jiu-Jitsu. So, so you came to Sydney, you're training on and off, 95. So I discovered um, Anthony Lange's gym, which was in a, a um, school hall. So he wasn't in the first, Manly then, or he wasn't? Yeah, Manly? no, still in Manly. He was in a school hall in Manly before he moved into his own uh, small space. Um, which is now expanded into a lot, like a couple of different larger spaces. Um, but when I first moved up, it was very difficult for me to get out to, because from where I was from, uh, in Leichhardt, if I, because I didn't know the traffic very well, I'd have to go home first, pick up my stuff, um, then drive out to Manly. So I'd go from Ride back to Leichhardt, out to Manly. And it was just most... On, I think back then he only had two nights a week or something like that, and so was that all he was teaching, or was he into something else as well? Um, no, he was again very similar, predominantly um, jujitsu, but obviously still doing some of the shoot fighting. You know, he was under John Will, so sure. they, they, were, they were, you know, doing a bit of both and yeah. doing it all, and um, and it wasn't until '96 where, sorry, yeah, '96 where I moved from Leichhardt. Um, to Cremorne, um, and now it was easier to go to work back because now home was on the way through to training, so right. then I was able to make more classes. I mean, Manly's a pain in the ass to get to. As it is, I had to yeah. go there. there's no convenient way to get there for anyone, I don't think. No. You could still go through the city, did you? Or Lane Cove Road, what, like um, Epping Road, or whatever it was? Like, how did... Oh, back in the day, yeah. I honestly, have no. I think I always went through the city because I knew, didn't know any yeah. other way. Yeah. Um, again, because I was from Canberra and hadn't. And this was this was no GPS. This is you have to use map books. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Gregory's. You got, yeah, and it'd yeah. always be ten years old, so half the streets were deleted. Yeah. yeah, and you had the once you found a way, you didn't change it. Yeah, there was no okay. There is traffic on this route. Yeah. Redirecting. It's like no, this is the way I go. This I got in someone's car the other day, and they had one of those in the door, and I nearly slapped them. I'm like, what are you doing with this thing? Like, if you own a phone, memorabilia. It's got to be the most outdated piece of. Technology. I mean, come on. Hey, if your battery just, runs maybe, out, maybe, maybe. I think then you just like you just give up. You just die. You just camp where you are. Well, if you don't have a um, charger you, in your cave, and I have, yeah. You know what's funny, but like, you made all that effort to go and try and gather these skills, and uh, like the biggest issue people have nowadays is is it's always been the case, but I'm sure it's more nowadays because it's everything's so easy for them. Is trying to get motivated to train. Like people get provided. I mean, you know what you're providing your students. Yeah. I know what I'm providing mine. Like, high quality, even when I started, I couldn't get what I'm getting, what's here now for people in this, this spot. Same for you. Like, people nearly don't know how good they've got it now. Yeah, no, like, look, uh, absolutely. Like, you were traveling however long, trying to get over there for a couple of days a week well, just to get some... That, that was even in the early days. Like, yeah. um, later on when I was actually fighting, 
Um, I was going out to Manly for jiu-jitsu, Leichhardt for jiu-jitsu. Um, I was going to Hornsby and to uh, Sydney Olympic Park for wrestling. I was going to Parramatta and to Manly for Muay Thai. And then I was going to Sydney Uni and Northern Beaches for open mats and extra training. So I was literally driving all around Sydney. Also had a weights membership. So I had something like eight or nine gym memberships um, just so I could get all the training. Oh, and um, obviously boxing at um, uh, North Sydney PCYC. So, you know, I'm trying to get all my training and I'm quite literally driving around all of Sydney. Um, and then, and then, and then I get, like you said, I get people coming in today going at my gym, I have wrestling, jujitsu, Muay Thai, boxing, MMA, hot yoga. Um, I have early AM classes, minute, mid, um, evening, afternoon classes, sauna, ice bath, hyperbaric chamber, um, warm up mats, bags, tire pads. It's like, yeah, weights room. Um, like everything it's in one place, heaven. and that's people are going, yeah. you know, not not everyone, but some yeah. people look at the price, and go, oh, yeah. that's expensive, and I go, you have no idea. I, I mean, I don't say it, but I, I think know. to myself, I you know. have no idea what expensive yeah. is. Yeah. You know, try having to have eight different memberships that you've got to pay every month. Plus, now, now, plus, don't get me wrong; they were cheaper. The memberships were cheaper back yeah, then. They were like fifty dollars each, but still, eight of them's over two hundred dollars, which is still was also more than years ago as well. Like, yeah. Plus, you're, you're providing the highest quality tuition that you can get from each instructor as well. That's something else that shouldn't be overlooked either. It's not no. just you whacking on a class. It's like who's facilitating that class. Yeah, no, I get into proper and that's, like and I have the same thing. I mean, you, you have it even more than me because you've seen it from an even tougher time. Like for me, I, I, I drove to Concord every day. Yeah. I drove an hour and a bit, an hour and a half in traffic. Each way. Each way, just, just so I could train with, with the best guys. And I would never never like uh go back on that now but it could have been so easy for me to go ah oh, this is too much i'm just gonna whatever to see if people go oh, oh you're a bit far and it's like well it's 15 minutes or yeah, 20 minutes it's like it's like sometimes it takes me 20 minutes to get down the road just in, and i understand traffic can be a pain in the ass mm. you know but yeah I mean, i'm gonna i'm gonna we'll talk about it in another podcast but i want to talk about I feel like people maybe aren't geared up mentally of how to think about pushing themselves. A lot of people just just don't have that ability. They're just it's just like this is remotely difficult. I just don't do that. That's I don't work our way around how I can make it happen. I just yeah. Just oh, that, again, that was I one mean, of the things. I guess sometimes people are a little bit different, but um, back then the, the the more challenging it was, the more enjoyable it was yeah. to me. I mean, that's that's the, one of the things I loved about jujitsu is. And then, you know, Muay Thai and then MMA. And it's because they were challenging. You know, because they were challenging, they gave me room for growth. Uh, and it's one of the things I, I really love about particularly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay? Um, even though, don't get me wrong, I love my boxing, I love my wrestling, I love my Muay Thai. Um, what really um, drives me about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is it's not a static, traditional art. And I mean that in the yeah. greatest yeah, way of no respect. It's an evolutionary art that continues to evolve. We don't hold on to, mm-hmm. you know, well, I don't. And, yeah. and the reason I like it is yeah. because I don't go, oh, this is, this is traditional, this is how we do it. You know, so, you know, I do things like I wear yellow geese and red geese and green geese and people go, oh, that's not traditional. I'm going, well, jiu-jitsu is not traditional. Yeah. And if you turn it into a traditional art, you're going to lose what made it 
yeah. so effective in the day because yeah, every year at the world championships there are new techniques yeah. and and do you have to use them all absolutely not mm. but at least be aware of them you know uh, try and understand what's going out there not everyone wants to play um, lapel guard or yeah. worm guard or anything like that but we're aware of it yeah. you know we've got guys on the mat who use it does everyone have to absolutely not do we have strong fundamentals do we stick and I guess the traditional element would be, you know, our fundamentals are always in place. We build off our fundamentals to be successful. But jiu-jitsu is amazing because we don't stop evolving. And again, just look at um, Danaher, you know, and, and I know you're, you're particularly fond of um, this area because, you know, back in the day before yeah. everyone else, um, you were known as Leg Lock Luke. You like the leg lock and it's again... I was very much the same in the early days. I never understood why you would ignore 50% of the human body. And people used to make fun of me for doing leg locks because I'd leg lock everyone. Um, and they'd call me leg humper because it was it was like a derogatory term. He, I'd uh, submit, they'd go, oh, you know, good job, leg humper. And I'd go, you tapped, didn't you? Mm. So, oh, you know, I'd have to right. back up and it's like... Well, well traditionally... From my understanding, some of the more traditional Brazilians are, are sort of more against it. No, I, I could be incorrect in that, but I think yeah, that's no. where that comes from. It wasn't, it wasn't part of the lineage because leg locks weren't a big. Well, leg they, locks were they, more of a sambo thing. They're more of a. Well, they believe no, it's not even like because I know Holes Gracie was doing leg locks, you know, and he was one of the people everyone looks up to. It was more because people looked at it as um, a way to cover up a hole if you're a bad guard. Oh, you, he only does leg locks yeah. because he can't pass the guard. Yeah. You know, if you could pass the guard, you wouldn't need to leg lock. Yeah. And I always believed that it was... Um, well, you know... Uh, what? And it's just another part of the game. It's the same as, like, you know, some people don't like rubber guard. Yeah. Again, rubber guard isn't... Uh, to me, it's not the be-all and end-all. It's just another part of the game. If it works for you, use it. If it doesn't, don't. And again, that's what's beautiful about jiu-jitsu. Yeah. We have so many elements, so many techniques that you can create a game plan, a strategy, a skill set based on your own individual physical attributes. So it doesn't matter if you're short and yeah. fat, tall and skinny, somewhere in the middle, strong and muscular, uh, obviously, from a competition perspective, you always want to be in the, you know, the most physically apt form. But for the general population to be able to use jiu-jitsu and even just to compete, there is not just one style of game that yep. works. It, it evolves. Um, and again, we go back to what we were talking about earlier. Is what I love is that evolution, and particularly Danaher now bringing back um, leg locks. Now, like even. You're looking at the 10th planet, which were known as the rubber guard people. Now they're leg lockers. You, you know, you see very little rubber guard from them um, nowadays. Now it's all working leg locks and they've done a great job. You know, they they saw the evolution. They jumped on it. I'm the same. Like I've always liked leg locks. So and you know it's what? never gone because, out. Because their head coach, uh, Eddie Bravo, he's open-minded. Eddie is quite open. I mean, Eddie's, Eddie's nearly too open-minded if you listen yeah, to talk sometimes. about some of his conspiracies. But... As far as martial arts, it's like he's always wanting to learn. And he's a, I mean, he's a Machado lineage guy. He's a Jean-Jacques black belt. He, um, well, I think that open-mindedness does come from the Machados because they oh, were very I open. I think there's something to that. Um, and, I, and that's not just saying that because that's your and, and I suppose, my lineage no. also. But, I, but they competed in, you know, I know in the early days, Machados competed in sambo and wrestling and jiu-jitsu, you know. They were open to different stuff. You know, I know Hickson did the same things. 
Um, and as I said, you know, it was always my belief that it was not the, it wasn't the be all and end all, um, but it was always a big part of my game. And I kind of look back now and kind of kick myself because I could be, I, I could look back and I could be the Danaher of today because, as I said, I was doing all this. Um, developing leg locks, I had transitions and uh, combinations of, of, you know, attacking and setting up the heel hook and all that. But because of the rules of jiu-jitsu and as the sport became standardized, a large uh, percentage of my game started to disappear. And because that large percentage of my game was not usable, um, it kind of went out the window because also at the time, um, I wanted to do MMA, but I didn't have any avenue, and it wasn't until much later in my jiu-jitsu career, as I said, I never really, I, I got started as a four-stripe white belt, but it wasn't until I was um, like a, a high-level purple belt that I got to, again, enter into, and I'd already developed a yeah, lot of my game, game. I'd already put aside yeah. a lot of my... Um, and the tax, and it was after that that you know leg locks started becoming yeah. more prevalent. It said 1998, um, you know, cross body heel hook submission win in Abu Dhabi, first heel hook victory uh, at the first ever submission wrestling championship. So hey, I, mean, I can at sweet. least at least I can yeah. hold on to that uh, record. It's it's pretty yeah. cool. I mean that's that's phenomenal, especially for me coming from the background that I do with with uh, leg locking and. I can't say enough that you're the trailblazer. You know, I'm following along a trail that's already been, you know, lit up for me. But it was the same for me. I, I couldn't. I was. I was putting a big part of my game was trying to attack the legs, and then I had you in the gym who would sort of push it. And then I had another my, my other side of my coaching with Anthony who didn't like to see that as much. He wanted a more, you know, more traditional game. And I appreciate totally where he was coming from as far as a coach's perspective on don't just get caught doing that because I try I'm trying to put that into my guys now. You get yeah, white balance. belts. Yeah, we get white belts who who can't pass the guard and they're just going for legs. I'm like, guys, put that aside for a second. You need to be able to pass, but add them as augmentation, not as a instead of, right? Yeah. You know? And um supplementation but I, not replacement. That's exactly right. But I um in competition it was only Federation stuff. There was yeah. the ISKA comps but they, but they, they, they weren't very good. They wouldn't allow heel hooks. They had low toe holds. And it was just, it wasn't until, ADCC was around, but it was like, what, once every two years. Yeah, it was, well, it just wasn't, yeah, yeah, it was once every two years was the finals. And, and, and that was open belt all level. So it was like at that stage, as a blue belt or whatever, you, I, I, I competed for the trials in 2011, I think, as a blue or purple. And, and it's tough. You're going against black belts and, and guys who are really good. And, I mean, nowadays, purple belts competing with black belts because of the level, but it's yeah. sort of different. Well, yeah. Again, it's that um, access to information, oh, you know, the it's just, YouTube, the, the uh, downloadable instructional. It's phenomenal. Yeah. But the long and short of it is not really until the last few years that I've been able to get back into the competition scene where I want to because now that those... What's well, open to everyone. They've now. become available. Like, grappling issues has been the best thing yeah, that's happened no, because... Um, they sub made, only as yeah, well, Australian, Australian sub, sub only. only. Those guys, um, yeah, George and those guys down there, fantastic. Yeah, um, ben. yeah ben, Bennett uh, at uh, Grappling Industries. Um, there's, I've got, I've got a match in three weeks. I don't know if I told you about this. I've got a match in Colsaba. Yes, I've seen it. I've, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a four-man invitational up there. Submission only. Eighties. Uh, sorry, EBI rules with the overtimes. These are things that weren't around before, and now I've got like three other legitimately good 
good jiu-jitsu players that I'm going against in an open rule set. I mean, it's really yeah. exciting. That just wasn't there before. No. So you can see why some people got stunted and pushed off the other direction. I mean, I put a lot of it down to Eddie Bravo. The run, starting the EBI tournament well, I think it was, made um, it more acceptable. Well, I hate I to say it, I think it was actually um, Henner and his brother with... Um, Metamorris. Yeah. I think they kind of started yeah, first. Right. They, they, they kind of stuffed it up. But it didn't have the same access that EBI does. It wasn't quite I, look, right. But the I, draw look, business. I, look, and I, 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 give, I, I understand where you're coming from, but you still introduced the, mm. that sub only and, mm. you know, allowing heel hawks. And, you know, you got, mm -hmm. as much as they've done stupid things, you've got to give them credit <laughs> for the, the stuff they did right. I, I agree that. EBI has taken it to the next level and obviously Polaris and other stuff. It actually wasn't like Henner and Heron, it was, um, who is the G and the G? That, that's that brother, it's that cousin, it's their oh, cousin. Oh yeah, um, that's right. Um, yeah, Gordon Ryan had a match with him last year. Jeez, people will be screaming in their phones. Hiron? Nah, like no, 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 um, The G and the G. I can see him. <sighs> and yeah, so no, it doesn't matter. But he was he was the yeah, he yeah. was the guy who sort of put it together. But he was also the one that did some some dodgy stuff. stuff but yeah. look, I think I think uh, we were sort of talking about Australian grappling. I think it's as healthy as it has ever, ever been. Like no, absolutely. A student who comes now, can, there's competitions for whatever what, every every fortnight, every month. Like it used to be, there was the the, the titles, the pan packs. There was like a few, yeah. and it was only under the rule set that that there was the federation rule set, and that was it. I mean, when you started, it was even less. It was just the odd random thing that people put together. So I think people are really... Comes like back to that it. thing where people don't realise what they've got. Yeah, I know. Um, don't realise what they've got now compared to previously, but I think it's an exciting time. Like, I can't... Like, uh, can you imagine even five years ago, if... I, should, I was going to say, if when I win these matches in a couple of weeks, I, I'll get $1,000 for beating two opponents. I mean, that's... That's yeah, better. That, that doesn't compare to the plastic trophies I picked up <laughs> yeah. in my career. Get out of here. Yeah, I know, I know. I hope I get a trophy as well. well it's the same thing as like sponsors give money today. That was unheard of. Back in the day, I got product. Is it a couple of yeah, yeah. t-shirts? Yeah. A couple of uh, tubs of supplement. Um, that was it. I think I only ever once got money, and it was like five hundred dollars. Um, can't remember who it was. Well, actually, no. I was promised. That was the first time I was going to get money. It would have been for UFC uh, 110, but obviously with my injury, I had to pull out. So I didn't actually ever receive a um, sponsorship purse. Damn it! I was devastated that. So 110, we, we were pretty close then. It was like the first time in Australia. That was a legitimate excitement. When 110 yeah, no, came, was... it was Velasquez and Nogueira. It was the card was was sick. Um, you were fighting. You were fighting an old rematch against yeah. the dude who poked his eye. It's funny that the guys keep bringing it up on Rogan's podcast. They get back in the day. Someone got their eye, you know, yeah, some shin, and they always forget forget who it was. But uh, well, there was two. There, there was, was two, um, there was uh, Chris Hazeman who did it obviously to me yeah. you know, here in Australia, and there was um, there was a Russian guy. It was done in one of the um, was it Volkov? It wasn't Makashenko. No. No, 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 no. It was. Um, it was it was one of the I think it was one of the rings guys as well like Volkov or yeah. something like that did it in one of the um, Russian um, MMA events and that's where no you know who they were saying was doing it Mark Kerr they were saying Mark Kerr did it once Mark Kerr did it yeah to somebody. but I, th I think he did it afterwards ah okay. he did it afterwards basically so you just get you the get... very first one was I can't think of who it was but it was in a Russian organization he was one of the rings guys and that's where Chris Hazeman got it from and I think 
Mark Kerr picked explain, it up after that. Explain for those that don't know what we're talking about. Explain exactly what the submission is. I mean, if you want to, I mean, expose the submission, but I wouldn't recommend it. Well, look, it, it's pretty much what they do is they they have to get to a dominant position, um, so such mount, as mount. Um, then he they turn their chin, put it in your eye socket. They grab behind your head, and then they drive like they obviously pull up as hard as they can on your head, drive the chin. Um, right into the eye and if you turn the head right head the right way the chin the um and it, look it's it's basically an eye gouge with the chin mm. now the reason like in that first event eye gouging was illegal but they argued it wasn't fingers that eye gouging has to be with the fingers now i disagree because nowhere in the rules that say you cannot eye gouge with the fingers it just says you cannot eye gouge mm -hmm. And so if someone had poked their feet up there, you can't poke their toes in their eyes. I mean, yeah, it's the same thing. Same right? thing. But they, they, they argued, and yeah. so... They gave him the win too, didn't they? They gave him the win, but then they changed the rules during the event so yeah. he couldn't do couldn't it do in it the again. final yeah. to say you cannot stick any foreign yeah. object. Which yeah. And look, the term eye gouging, yeah. I think, covers any foreign object. I mean, yeah. and you shouldn't need to specify. Like but parts, anyway, right. it's over and it's done. So you were supposed to fight Haysman. And, and then I would have had... Um, I think it was Simon Sweet, which is who Chris beat, and then in the final, Chris got... Um, uh, but coming back to 110. Spirit. Oh, 110. I was supposed to Haysman, fight rematch. rematch. You excited. You blew your shoulder. Well, I, yeah, I went on. I'd had um, ongoing shoulder issues yeah. for a while, but they were manageable. Like, I was training hard, still doing very well. Um, but it wasn't until I, I pretty much went into a 10-week fight camp. So, you know, I obviously want to put out my mm. best performance. Went to Thailand yeah, that's uh, right. for a month, then went to the US for a month. I spent two weeks with Carlos in Texas yeah. and two weeks in Las Vegas. Um, in, interestingly enough, you know, with Forrest and um, a that was few at Drysdale's. Yeah, I was at Drysdale's, yeah. and I went to a couple of you know, I trained at Randy's yep. gym. Yep. I trained. Um, Vanderlei uh, had a gym there too. Was that he space? did. I never got to Vanderlei's gym. I yeah. wanted to, but there was the tap out uh, gym was, as well. I, I got the yeah. tap out gym. Vinny Van um, was there at that stage. Yeah, I met Vinny yeah. back then. Um, I got to, I think it was Warrior Gym or something. That's where um, Frank Mir was. As I said, mm -hmm. I wanted to get to Vandalay's. Just there were so many. So many options. Well, the, the, once I made a couple of connections, you just tended to follow people around. I think that's the way to do it. Um, to just to maximise it. So my, you know, I went from training, you know, two to three times a week to two to three times a day. So I was doing. Uh, morning sessions, training, coming back to the hotel, doing a cardio session, then going out to another place and doing this session. So I was doing this, and same with in Thailand, I'd you know, get up, I'd do um, a group class in the morning, um, go out, have a, a bit of a relaxing day, come back, do some cardio, have a rest, come back, do a private session with one of the Thai coaches. So again, you know, trying to train three, three times a day, and it just, that increasing level of intensity and obviously as I got fitter and fitter I started pushing harder and harder and harder and by the end of the like um, before I left um, Vegas my shoulder was killing me like every night I was in ridiculous pain but I was fine while I was training so I'm like you know what yeah push through it's just um, it's fine, I can do it, as long as I make the fight, I get through it, I'll, I'll have it looked at, you know, I didn't want to have it looked at before, because I knew, um, well, I didn't know, but I just didn't want to find out that, mm. you know, I, I can't continue, so I just pretty much ignored the pain, 
in that last part of the camp. Um, and then it got to the point where I was, when I got back to Australia, uh, I got there about you know two weeks before the fight. I had one week um, of pre-camp before we got to fight week. And then you know when I got back to Australia, I was actually waking up in pain. Mm. Pretty so much shoulders, sore shoulders. It was the pretty much dull pain during the whole day, and then yeah. after training, it just well, it did. It just escalated. Yeah. I wasn't able um, to sleep. I was struggling with it, and then pretty much on my last sparring session, I was sparring with um, uh, Igor uh, Prokoyev. Yeah, that's yeah. right, Prokoyev. Who was um, having his debut? His, he was debut, and then it, it just that last yeah. session it blew out during the match. It's just I could. I finished the rounds and everything, but yeah. I just... I think I was I think we were up against the cage, and I was during Shark Tank, yeah. and I, we were just sitting in front of each other, just beating the piss out of each other. Mm. And my shoulder went during it, and I kept throwing it, but I lost all power out of it. Like I was mm. trying to th throw it, and there was just nothing. Um, it was your right? Right, yeah, yeah. And then just afterwards, I, I, I could barely use the arm, and then... I tried to, I'm like, you know what, it's all right. It's the end of my camp. I'll just give it a day or two. It'll be better by Monday, because I think this was the Saturday. And I woke up, and then Sunday was horrendous. And then I woke up Monday, and it was still ridiculously in pain. And then I you know, contacted Joe Silva, and I said, look, you know, this has happened. Oh, no, so I waited out Monday. And then Tuesday, um, I, I went and had a chat with, you know, um, training partners and Igor and it was just a group of us about what I should do and they're like look if you can't use your arm you shouldn't mm. be fighting and I'm like I don't want to you know let down the, my team I don't want to let down my country and um, I just wanted to I just so like I put so much into I mean, it yeah, everyone just wanted that to happen just, yeah yeah um, and then you know we all agree that just, you can't fight unless you can use both arms and yeah. I so I contacted Joe and he's like oh you should have told us earlier and I'm like, look, I, I really didn't want to because I didn't want to pull out. You know, I, I tried everything. I waited until the last second. He goes, look, you should have told us. We could have helped you. And and so um, they didn't even can it right there and then. They said, look, just work with us. So they sent me to see a doctor who sent me to see a specialist who sent me to get laser-guided laser MRIs. And then they got gave me a cortisone shot. The cortisone shot didn't work. Then they got a laser-guided cortisone shot. And what was the torn labrum? Is that what it was? Totally no, I had um, adhesive. Uh, it was a, cop a, a a bunch of things. I had adhesive capsulitis. My actual um, the cartilage had pretty much all disappeared in my shoulder joint. Um, so it was literally bone on bone, um, uh, osteoarthritis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty much the shoulder was locking up, so I couldn't. I didn't have a full range of motion, um, and uh, it just yeah, it was just it was horrendous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, like. Even when I could use it, it the, the range of motion was limited. And like even today, it still has a limited range of motion. I never got all my mm. um, range and that, back. And so that fight just never, never, just happened. never happened. And that was well, your I last. ended up pulling out. And yeah. um, I mean, Joe did make a comment. He goes, You know, are you really sure? Are you sure you don't want to step in there? He goes, Last thing you want is because he knows me. He goes, yeah. And he almost sold me. He goes, Last thing you want to do is have the regret not fighting in the first you know Australian UFC he goes but mm. it doesn't matter what happens you know and you I went and I just went look give me give me 24 hours to think about it you know let me go home sleep on it um, 
And that night, I'm, you know, that day, it actually was, it seemed to be getting better. Mm. That night, I did not sleep a wink, not only because what was in my head, because I physically could not find a comfortable position. Uh, for my, I woke up that morning, well, I got up, I didn't actually wake up, I didn't get any sleep, and I just went, it's just not, I can't sleep. If I can't, I'm not even going to have the energy to fight, let alone the mobility. And I thought, because I was at one point, I'm thinking, you know what? I'll just work my jab, my hook. I've got great kicks. Um, if it comes into the grappling range, as long as I keep my elbows in tight, I should be able to handle myself. And I was considering it. But then when I couldn't even sleep, and I didn't even sleep that entire week, you know, even when, after I'd pulled out. Mm. And again, partly to do with the pain and partly to do with the heartache, the heartache of having to pull out. And, and I still sometimes go, you know what, maybe you should have just jumped in there. Who cares, win, lose, just draw. And the reality is I, I would have lost. Yeah. I had one arm. Yeah. Um, one arm wasn't usable. And he would have and come in ready to go. Yeah. He would have come in in good shape. So um, disappointing, but yeah. you know it is what it is. Um, in the end, it didn't change much uh, overall i just missed out on uh, you know an amazing opportunity mm. and but with every uh, part of what can consoles me is with what everything i've achieved beforehand it's not that big a loss like it is mm. disappointing but you know yeah but uh, i don't think you can focus if you focus on that no which i don't it's uh, done uh, yeah like what can in all seriousness there's nothing can, i can do there's absolutely nothing you do to change it that's why it doesn't it's bother done. me anymore you need to i, I instead look back at what i did do you yeah know, the first i think ever, that's that's hundred percent. Right, first, first ever Pan Pacific champion, first ever ADCC yeah. Australian competitor, first ever heel hook in ADCC, yeah. first Australian UFC competitor, first Australian UFC title fight competitor, um, first Australian and on the first ever show in England in um, in London, in the first and only MMA show in the Royal Albert Hall, first yeah. first show ever in um, New Jersey, you know first event with Zufer and um, yeah look yeah, I mean it's, it's um, pretty it's not it's not too bad it's, it's a little bit more than most people are uh, most people that are on the internet shit can and everyone that'll you yeah know, read their comment there's a little more than, than than all those people I want to um I mean I feel like we could keep going for hours but yeah my little well, maybe we'll do another one yeah. down the track but you feel a few little, more people in yeah maybe in three months or something we'll come back follow on on some of the history yeah maybe chat on what's going on today well yeah I mean um yeah, we've got uh, I've got Ellis out here for the grading here at Sydney West today. So the jiu-jitsu grading, so that's exciting. Every grading night's exciting. Um, this is a tester, guys. So I can't say enough. Let us know what you think. Um, be honest. If it's sort of stuff you want to listen to, uh, I'd love to have Elvis here every week, but he's a busy man, so we'll we'll do what we can do. But um, before we close up, because I think the little microphone's red hot. What? Uh, let's very quickly, like five minutes. Yep. This weekend was, well, this last week was the craziest week in MMA. I think, well, I think the craziest week that I've seen. Look, I, I pretty much agree. I think it was the craziest I mean, week for the UFC, for MMA in general. Yeah. Just, I mean, the things that happened. It's not the worst. Obviously, there've no, been. No, I don't been think some, it's that bad. No, I just think it's crazy. Been some, you know, some horrific things that have sure. happened in hey. in MMA and yeah. um, thankfully outside the UFC. But yeah, it, it's probably the craziest with. You know, obviously Tony Ferguson tripping over uh, a cable and twisting his knee, so getting pulled out, so trying to find a replacement opponent for Khabib. Khabib facing up to Artem, having a few words, telling him not to put, have his uh, name in his mouth, don't mention him, you know, at the hotel. Um, so that's then, what I want to talk about, Let's because we're going to run out of time if we re recap the whole thing. 
just just the McGregor incident in, in like if you can like a fairly short so, so it, it so comes I know you up, spoke on you spoke yeah, on channel 10 channel 10 the project, the project so yeah, uh, again I, first time yeah, I mean, on mainstream yeah. uh, TV fantastic. which was fantastic which is a shame they only care about it when it's something like this but I know but at least it's start the good thing is I now have a connect, yeah. connection I've told them hey you know we should get in touch with more and before we digress I did say Whitaker coming up Maybe I can chat some more then. So hopefully I can do it on a positive yeah. note once uh, Whitaker yeah. goes out to defend his belt against Romero. But digressing, we go back to the That's original cool. topic. Yeah. Artem was confronted by Khabib yep. and his team. And even though, look, Khabib's team was there, I don't think it was a gang-up. I don't think Khabib needs it. I think he just wanted to face um, Artem, tell him to shut up, stop talking about him. And my guess is part of that is also due to the frustration of what Artem's training partner Connor has been saying as well because he can't tell Connor to shut up because Connor's not there he's not turning up to these things he's not accepting fights so I think he just wanted to have a few words to Artem to kind of you know it's his fight week which is understandable and then obviously Connor got wind of this he wasn't originally like they were looking at trying to get him out for the press conference he but he did coming. well he wasn't coming Vanna knew and then, didn't knew nothing about it yep and then all of a sudden uh, well, no, I think they chatted initially about trying to get him out, but he wasn't it coming. It wasn't happening. Dana, Dana didn't know no, no. he was there until there was like dollies yeah. through the window. She so, yeah, he's basically grabbed a bunch of, I'm assuming, teammates and friends, mm -hmm. jumped on his private plane, flew to the US, come to the arena, contacted the MacLife, which is his own company, which had um, media credentials at the business that they've let him in. Now, I don't, I don't fault them because, again, it's, it's their employer. It's hard to say no. Um, second of all, it's a great opportunity. They, they weren't expecting horrible things yeah. to happen. They're going, this is a great opportunity to put this. This is media. They're, yeah. they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. News. Connor's here. He's going to be making news. We're sure. going to be filming it. Awesome. Yeah, we'll let him in. Cool. Obviously, it's backfired with what's happened, but you can't, look, honestly, you can't blame him. No. Because the reality is, who would have thought that anyone would, no. even if Connor had gone to the no. front and they said, can I come in, they would have let him in. So that you know, it's not like they. The only difference is, is when they've let him in, they've they might let have had more control. Well, they've let him in with ten other people, which probably wouldn't have been sure. come in with sure. if, if he'd gone through the UFC. To, to so, put, a, put a freeze on it there, I'm. I, I want to get a keep going on it, but I think everyone's very negative on Conor out of this, and I'm not a. I'm not like a Conor McGregor fanboy. I think he's fantastic, but I'm not like you know. I don't have his. Uh, I don't have his flag tattooed on me or anything, but. I mean that's a pretty gangster move. Your buddy, Look, I, I, your buddy gets what you perceive as being stood over with other people on fight week. You get on your own jet with a bunch of your buddies. You come down and you confront him. I mean that's I pretty look, gangster. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I look, that I think I, I, that's I, I, a look, good thing. No, no, to no. Do. I'm, I'm kind of on both sides. I appreciate where he's coming from, but again, in the same situation, the reason Khabib kind of stood over Artem, he didn't let it escalate. He's a professional. He had the opportunity. He could have slapped Artem and then forced Artem sure. to hit him back. He did. Then, I mean, if, uh, um, I'm pretty sure. And he, if he did, he then, had him by the then, back of the neck in like a collar tie. Yeah, he, he was, was holding him. It, it was a like I'm talking down to you. Oh, I'm absolutely. Controlling absolutely. This. But he wasn't. He didn't escalate. He sure. kept it under control. Yeah. And if Connor had kept it under control, would have had no issue with it. But again, um, I think partly with the frustration of him knowing he's going to get. Um, stripped of his belt, yeah. um, and then everyone talking shit about him. So I think he's just fiercely loyal. I think he's just no, no, he's an Irish guy. You know what they're he's like soccer hooligans. He's definitely fiercely loyal, but I think it over escalated because he was already emotional about everything that's going on. Probably got there, wasn't allowed in, so found snuck his way in. Yeah. 
couldn't get to his target because you know um, he was bus. in the bus and they weren't you know they were not letting him off you know Khabib mm-hmm. wanted to get off the bus they you know they they um he they were like no yeah. you have to stay on you have to stay oh. on you're fighting and you know what he did the right thing by not getting off sure. because he was fighting the next day he had to stay 100%. um no arguments from me there uh, it's, on the it's bus a, it's a, and then obviously Connor's gotten frustrated and again I think it comes down to a little bit he's gotten away with so much recently he's given so much leeway yeah. from the UFC I mean heck even from the athletic commissions he jumped into the Bellator cage assaulted a referee nothing no reprimand from mm-hmm. the UFC mm-hmm. no fines from the commissions nothing at all he's just got Left because sure. he, he thinks he's untouchable. So, sure. he, yeah, you know, and then obviously he, he got fired up, thought he could do whatever he wanted. They started throwing. But let's remember this at, at the end of the day, like, none of, none of us in the industry condone it. None of us think it's no, a good idea. Absolutely not. Whether your thoughts are you like it or don't. At the I end know, of the day, look, I appreciate his loyalty. I just don't like yeah, the way he approached sure, exactly. it. I don't like the way uh, he acted. Um, I hope that he's contrite, like, truly contrite, not just putting it on for yeah, the meter so he can find. I don't think he will be. Because no. um, he's, he's, he believes, it, I think it's more simple than anyone, I think it's very simple. He comes from a culture where you have issues with each other, you fight each other, right? Yeah. That's that's the Irish traveller culture, right? has the same culture. Yeah, so no, 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 don't be wrong. He's messing, the Dagestanis from my understanding are some of the baddest motherfuckers in the world. So you don't, you, you know, yeah. it's an interesting clash here. But he, he's, I think it's very simple. He's, he's perceived his friend being stood over by yep. a bunch of guys. He came in, he thinks he's untouchable. That's all it is. He's coming to go, let's deal with this. And I think, I truly believe, if they could have got at each other, they would have fought. Yeah. I don't think Connor's scared. I don't think um, Khabib's scared. I don't think, I think it's just, it is what it is. I think it was a messy the way it unfolded. And I think, at the end of the day, all it does is pump up their fight astronomically. Absolutely. And Again, the only disappointing thing is, is the injuries that happened as a result of it. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's I like to think terrible. he didn't yeah. He didn't do that on purpose. He was just no. trying to lash out. I think he's just loose. He I do it. think, I do think if he had the opportunity to throw that dolly at Khabib, he would have. Yeah, I totally um, agree. Um, and that I would, I would still... Um, no, he knew he was on the bus. No, he didn't know where he was. No, he, he didn't know. you got to remember, the security were trying to stop him. He just pegged yeah, yeah. that at the windows. He was just pegging it at the bus. Kiesso just, just happened to be... The unlucky... Yeah, no. You know. And again, again, he should, I think he should... He's a professional. He's a yeah. fighter. He should be able to keep his anger sure. under control. Totally. And that's what... Yeah. And that's one of the things even... You listen to any um, coach or um, analyst is one of the things that separates the champions from the others is their ability to keep their under, uh, anger under control. And yeah. again, the perfect example on the same weekend was Rose. Her performance yeah. in the cage never let emotion get to her. JJ kept trying to, um, uh, Johan and Yandrejic, yeah, for those to. wondering, was trying to get in her head during the fight, before the fight, um, was trying to make her wilt, but she didn't. Like Going into the fifth, even though the scorecards don't reflect it, I believe it was 2-2, two, two, two rounds each. The fifth round was the deciding round, whoever wanted it more. And to me, Rose wanted it more. She went after uh, Joanna, she did more damage. Um, Joanna was throwing leg kicks, but in the fifth round, you need really to fight. throw, get rid of leg kicks yeah. because if they, uh, well, you're taking down or they, or they well, don't accumulate to enough do with, to finish the fight. They're not doing visible damage. Um, you're unlikely to get the, your opponent slowing down because there are no further rounds. One of the great things in the early round and why I thought it was so effective is in round three and four she started using it's an investment, and you could see in the fourth round Rose started slowing down. She wasn't. Her angles weren't quite as good, so it was working. By the fifth round, 
Rose was pressuring forward. She wasn't trying to do as... She was doing the angles early, but then went for the forward pressure because she knew what she had to do to win. Um, whereas Joanna was just kicking, which again was trying to score points, not finish the fight. Mm. Had she gone out trying to finish, I think she could have got the victory. Mm. She has the skill set to do it, um, but Rose wanted it more, and, and she got that victory. And again, it's that ability to control your anger that makes you a true champion. And, and that's what I thought Connor had because he does it so well in his media and in the lead-up. He talks so much trash, but then when he's in the cage, he gets it under control, and he just, what, this time, just couldn't get it under control. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because of his time away from fighting. Obviously, that makes a difference when you're not in there fighting. Yeah. You're not constantly yeah. putting that in control. Yeah. The fact that he's gotten away with other stuff, the amount of money he has, um, the amount of leeway he gets from the UFC, there's a lot of underlying reasons but the reality is he lost control yes uh, n no argument from it i just think it's very simple i think he's a fiercely loyal guy who comes from that type of culture i think in that culture you know dissing someone's friend especially someone like artem who he sees as a brother is just unacceptable that they'll fight they'll fight over that and that's what i think See, again in the, it's in the fight game and word and connor should know that you know words I, and, and i agree but i don't think I, I think he again because they're not a potential opponents. I guess it's slightly. I think he saw it as different. It was backstage. It was off the press. It was it was purely it was in the hotel. Yeah, it was pulled aside, and he's you know, and remember it was two Russians. We don't know. I don't. I don't know if there's been a good transcription of what was said. Like, have you heard a good one? Nah. Who knows what was said? You know, but um. My, all I well, basically heard was he told Artem not to um, mention his name to yeah. keep his name out of his yeah. mouth. Look, I reckon we ended there. We could talk about that for yeah. days. People are still talking about it for days. And um, I think we went way past I think um, we whatever go, the time limit I think was we supposed go to way be. Past. Um, quickly, do you want to just shout out the gym? Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, so my gym, Kings Academy, you can find us kingsacademy.com.au. We're on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook. We have a website. Um, as I mentioned earlier, jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, boxing, wrestling, MMA, hot yoga classes. Kids start from three years um, up to you know as old as you want to keep training. Um, largest mat space, as you mentioned earlier, we have a sauna, we have an ice bath, hyperbaric chamber, hot yoga room, we have a chill out area, we have a, have a coffee bar, a weights room, cage ring, everything you need for your training. So if you're out the Moorbank Way, come out, jump in, try a class. You know, we're always looking forward to, you know, people coming along. If you're visiting Sydney, everyone's always welcome. We have an open door policy. Um, also, you know, if you've got Foxtel, jump on to um, Foxtel. Uh, look up the guide for fight week um, on most Thursday nights. Occasionally, we you know we skip shows when the producer's out of town or something's going on. Um, but if you want to get some insight into upcoming um, UFC shows, past UFC shows, and we try and mention you know anything that's going on with um, Australian stars, we mention Martin Ewan's um, you know great run at one, even though he didn't win that third title. You know, put in a, a great performance. Um, you know, we've mentioned Brace and a few others before, but again, predominantly for your UFC news, check out Fight Week. Again, you can find them on uh, Instagram. Um, and, you know, also part of um, a bigger network of affiliates, you know, um, around Sydney and that, obviously, Luke, uh, Sydney yeah. West Martial Arts. I've got um, uh, Team Anaconda uh, up in the Central Coast. I've got um, Richard and uh, Southern Martial Arts now narrow away and always looking at um, looking at more affiliates jumping on board. So 
you know, check it out, jump on, do some jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai boxing, whatever you feel like, uh, we're there. Thank you, Elvis. Thanks, Mike. Always Cheers. a pleasure chatting.